Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a Wednesday edition of the Fenway Rundown podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo back in our Boston studios, or at least I am. Sean is in a suburb to be named later. And we are done with our first stint in Fort Myers. As I said, Sean McAdam, Chris Smith will be heading back down in March. I will not uh, as my next 60-day IL stint for calf surgery takes place. But I want to thank all the players we had while we were down at Fenway South. Very, very insightful interviews. Trevor Story, Lucas Giolito, and Kenley Jansen. Uh, we'll obviously have more players on throughout the year. Today, J.P. Ricciardi. Longtime MLB executive, Massachusetts native, joins the show. Uh, you know, Sean's known him for a long time. I've actually known him for a long time, despite you know not really professionally. Did hitting clinics back with him in Shrewsbury growing up. We'll get into that and a lot more with JP, who just retired and is launching a podcast of his own. One more episode coming to you this week, and it's going to be a mailbag episode, as we always say. Those mailbag episodes no longer take place via Twitter. As much as we appreciate all the Twitter trolls and the complaints and everything that happens on that health site, we do have a better way for you to connect with us and submit podcast questions. And Sean, it's the Fenway Rundown Insider Text Program. It sure is, Chris. And all you have to do to join up is text the word join to 617-751-6257. That comes with a free 14-day trial period, and we are confident that you will be so enamored with the program that you will gladly contribute $4.99 per month after that. And we are thrilled to have as a guest today, J.P. Ricciardi who is uh, no stranger to baseball fans throughout New England, a New Englander himself, and a longtime MLB executive who recently made the decision to retire from the game and, for reasons we're going to get into, has opted to go to the dark side and uh, explore the media world a little bit. We'll be talking to JP about that uh, in, uh, in a little bit on our podcast. But, JP, thanks for joining us and welcome. Thank you very much. Good to see you guys. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about your decision, uh, which I think was reached, uh, maybe not reached recently, but made public recently. Uh, after 43 years in the game at every conceivable level, uh, from playing in the minor leagues to uh, coaching a little bit, then working in various front office positions, that's a long time in the game. Uh, you're still a healthy, uh, engaged guy. Why walk away at this point, JP? Well, um, you know, the last five years with the Giants, they weren't the most fulfilling for me. Um, and I think the game is changing so much. Um, 
And I wasn't able to have a real meaningful role that I had in uh, Oakland, I had in Toronto, and I had in New York. And I just wasn't fulfilled. And, uh, you know, the, the dynamics have changed so much. As you guys know, you're around the game all the time. Um, I still feel like I have a lot to offer, but the combination of not being fulfilled professionally and Sean, 43 years on the road, you know, it just, it adds up. And, uh, you know, I was in Philadelphia with the team. I was staying in a beautiful hotel. It was early September. We were playing the Phillies and I called my wife. I said, you know, this isn't fun anymore. You know, not having an input, not being able to, to give them some feedback and things like that. So I just said, you know, maybe it's just time to retire. So I just explored it and um, I decided that was the way to go. So I, I didn't want to be one of these old bitter guys, uh, but it's, it's getting harder and harder to hear you, have your voice heard and it's getting harder and harder to have some type of impact. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I don't need to be at the top with all the answers, but I think there's a lot that I could offer and, I think in a lot of cases, we've lost that touch in baseball. We don't want experience. We don't want guys who have maybe done some things, whether good or bad, it's still experience. And uh, so, you know, whatever time you have left on this earth, I want to enjoy it. I don't want to be frustrated. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And but when you talk about that, JP, do you, do you, are, I'm guessing that a lot of that is the – analytics revolution which has been part of the game for some time where there is less emphasis on scouting less emphasis on the eye tests more about data and numbers um as you said maybe guys of your generation not being listened to not having their input valued did it just feel like uh it, it wasn't fun anymore for you basically you know, Sean, it, it definitely wasn't as fun. Someone said something to me the other day, and it's a great quote. You know, I, I'm not going to miss the circus. It's the clowns I'm going to miss. And that's what we don't have in baseball anymore. We've become so sterile. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound like this generation or that generation, but there's a lot of guys with experience that are out there that bring a lot to the table, that have had a lot of success, whether in player development and scouting, and they're just banished. They're put aside. They don't want, no one wants to listen to them. And I don't know what the reason is. I don't know if the, the, the newer analytic version wants nothing to get in the way of what they're doing and their, you know, the, the way they've set up their evaluations. So it, it's, it's very frustrating. I, I think the organization that finds a way to blend it, that finds a way to bring relevance to listening to evaluations of God. Listen, I could sit here and give you a litany of things that we were a part of from an evaluation standpoint that worked. And it's just not there anymore. You know, when, when I was in Oakland, I worked for Sandy and Billy. They were the best because they allowed me complete autonomy. They didn't always do everything I wanted to do, but they gave me that freedom to do it. There's no organizations that do that anymore. And you almost feel like you're infringing on them when you bring an idea to them it's almost like yeah thanks see you later we you know that's not going to work or we don't want to listen to that so i think they're really really hurting themselves by not opening up and listening to and i'm not saying just me there's so many people out there i could give you a million guys that bring stuff to the table that can help you and uh why you wouldn't want that information is confusing to me but it's just not worth banging your head against the wall 
JP, in that vein, and obviously every front office is different, but do you feel like now there's less of a collaboration within these front offices and it's just a smaller inner circle? That's something that we've heard, you know, covering the Red Sox. It's been the case now for a few different regimes that, you know, sometimes the chief decision maker, um, you know, relies on just a couple of people instead of a large group. Have you found that to be the experience the last few years? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the buzzwords I hear all the time is collaboration and inclusiveness. And I can tell you from some experiences, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I think there's scouts out there and there's player development people out there. Well, let me back up a step. What's happening in scouting now is they're hiring people that are like-minded to what they want their decisions to be. So they don't want someone that comes in and says, I know you like this guy, but he's got a little hitch in his swing that he's never going to be able to catch up to the fastball. And they don't want that input. And um, from a player development standpoint, if you look at the coaches that are coaching in the minor leagues today, did you ever think our game would get to a point where you're an ex-major leaguer or an ex-minor leaguer and you can't work in our game? That's what's happening. There are less ex-players, whether it's major leagues or minor leagues, working in the, in, in the minor leagues now because it's such a controlled environment. We're going to think this way. We're going to hit this way. We're going to pitch this way. And, and the great thing about our game is it's made up of individuals who do things individually. And it's the coach that can work within that individual that ends up having the most success. So I think uh, a lot of organizations are streamlining their front offices because they want like-mindedness in there. Sean mentioned this to start, uh, but you are, you know, now, as I said, a social media mogul uh, all over the place as we've seen the last couple of weeks. Um, And you're starting a podcast called the brushback, right? Um, what, what is the goal we've seen in the last couple of weeks, another friend of the show, Zach Scott, longtime executive here. And then with the Mets also starting a podcast and, you know, uh, another former executive kind of getting into stories from his career and things like that. Is your goal to kind of, you know, bring people into the behind the scenes? Is it to connect with, you know, people you've met along the way or, or what do you see that pod becoming? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think first and foremost, you know, my background is player development scouting in the major leagues. So I don't know uh, of a lot of people that are out there actually explaining to someone what actually happens with a trade. How do you put a trade together? Mm-hmm. What are the, what's the groundwork of a trade, history of trades, you know, how you work with other executives, how the minor leagues actually work. People talk about the minor leagues, but do they really know how it works, how scouting works, how, you know, certain things work and come to fruition, whether it's a deal or not a deal. Uh, so we're just trying to bring behind and also connect with, you know, so many of the people that I have come in contact with, whether as, you know, the last 25 years I've been in the front office. So it's been, you know, running major league teams. It's been supervising spring trainings. It's been signing players. So it'd be nice to get Frank Thomas and Scott Rowland and guys that I had along the way, get them on. Uh, and, and also not just big stars like Mike Bordick, who I signed, is, is a guy that played 15 years in the big. It'd be nice to get his perspective on things along with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm on the show, but I really grew up in the front office part with guys like Sean and, and Tony Maserati and Joel Sherman and all these guys that are now, you know, very prominent uh, figures in the media and have started their career basically from ground zero. And 
I've kind of grown up with them in, in my role. And it's nice to reconnect with them and to hear where they've gone and what their stories are. Look, we all love the game. We're trying to be caretakers of the game. And I just don't want to see certain parts of the game forgotten because I think it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bode well for our game. So it's a combination of a lot of things. I'm just going to have fun with it. Uh, it's not my livelihood. So it's just something that I can stay connected to baseball and continue to, uh, to talk the game. Now, how long have you wanted to do that as your kind of next step? I never really thought about it <laughs> until uh, about a month ago when uh, uh, I was approached about it. So um, I said, why not? You know, it's it, I, like what we're doing now. I enjoy it. It's great. We're talking baseball, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're learning things. We're throwing ideas out there. So for me, it's, uh, it's, I think it's going to be a fun endeavor because there's a lot of different things that we could talk about. There's some great stories along the line. Uh, and I think, you know, people will enjoy those. And uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's baseball. It's supposed to be fun. JP, when, when you look at the changes that, that came to the game last year with the rule, uh, you know, the, the pitch clock, things like that, it seemed to make the product on the field better, which gave some of us some hope that things can improve and that if you get the right people involved, you get the right solutions, then the game gets better. Can the genie be put back in the bottle off the field to address some of the things that you don't like about how it's trending? Can, I mean, it can't be legislated to change people's attitudes or it can't be put on paper that you have to do this. But you, you hinted earlier that, you know, the, the next successful organization is going to blend old and new and combine the scouting and the analytics. But what would you recommend if you were to be, uh, you know, if you were to get another offer to be a GM again or a team president of baseball operations, what could you implement to move the game back to what you would like to see it become again? Well, let me just state what what I want it to be doesn't mean it's right. It's just what I think made it work. And what I would do is I would sit, you know, I hired Keith Law in Toronto. He was the first analytics guy to come into a front office. So, you know, as old school as I may be, I was cutting edge enough to bring a guy in because I wanted a different opinion. It's the same with Alex Anthopoulos. I hired Alex in Toronto and Alex would come to me with 900 requests a day about trades and things to do. And I told him, I said, Alex, I love your, your enthusiasm. I'm probably going to say no 90% of the time, but keep bringing those ideas to me because we're going to hit on one or two of them. And I didn't want to take away his creativity. So I think, I think what's lacking in front offices today is I think we don't have enough respect for the people skills and treating people in a way that, Hey, I really want to get to know you so we can build this organization. You know, like what makes you tick? What do you like about the game? It's, it's become so sterile that we don't really know anybody anymore. You know, I think there's something to be said, like if I hire, hire a farm director, I've known that guy. I today it's all, someone has to be told this guy's good at what he does. So hire him. I don't really know him, but I I'm hiring him. So I would try to build that camaraderie and, and blend sit the analytics people down with the baseball people and let's have a conversation. This isn't you against us and us against you. That's the worst thing that can happen. And I think, unfortunately, that's what, that's what's happened in our game. If you talk, if you go out and you could put truth serum in every minor league person and every, 
scout, they would tell you the game is not a fun game. They don't like working in it. They're doing it because it's the way they make their living, but they're not real happy because they don't feel like they're being utilized and, and being heard. That's disappointing. I would try to create an, an avenue where everybody has can, can voice some of their, their displeasures. JP, obviously, you know, you've, <clears throat> I think Sean's going to get into this. Uh, believe you were going to work for the Red Sox during a 48 hour period that, that didn't end up working out. Uh, so uh, we're not going to label you as a. <laughs> we're not going to label you as. Red Sox history. That's right. Uh, we're not going to label you as a former Red Sox executive, but this is a Red Sox podcast after all, um, and that's the team we cover. From your outside perspective, following the Red Sox being from around here, have you seen, is it clear to you, the behavior has changed over the last few years from a big market team trying to get stars to one that's you know more focused on the build? I think fans are frustrated. The purse strings have been tightened a little bit. Um, from someone in the game, have you noticed that and been surprised by kind of how they've operated? Well, I think the one thing about the Red Sox is that at one point, you know, it's, I, I, I never thought I'd see the point in the game where it's really three organizations that have become Uber organizations, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Mets. It used to be, there was big market teams and the Red Sox were in there along with the Giants, along with the Phillies. So you probably had eight to 10 big market teams, the Cubs uh, probably losing a few teams along the way. But now I've noticed there's three Uber teams and then there's everybody else. Uh, I still think the Red Sox would be considered a big market club and the Giants would be considered a big market club, but they haven't operated like that in the last few years. So I think maybe the dynamics are changing uh, with some of the ownerships across baseball. And I think what the Red Sox are doing is probably not what we're accustomed to. Uh, you know, when John Henry bought the club, they were just hell-bent on winning, and they did an amazing job. I mean, to, to be able to win those world championships and overcome uh, so many of the, the past heartaches. Uh, so they, they did an amazing job. They're just, you know, obviously not operating under the same parameters as they, as they did in the past. Uh, I would say, you know, if, if we were to get your biased take, you would say that a certain member of their amateur scouting department with the Red Sox is the best member of the organization. Would that be right? Oh, by far. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, my son Dante scouts for the Red Sox, and, and mm -hmm. they've treated him great. They've been absolutely great to him. Uh, he really loves working for the Red Sox. He's I'm, I'm proud of him. Obviously, I'm his father. But, you know, he signed the Guerrero kid who I think has got a chance to pitch in the big leagues. The Hickey kid's going to play in the big leagues. Uh, the Johan kid got rule five. But he likes being a part of something. He likes the groupies with, uh, you know, the scouting people, Paul Taboni and Devin that are over there. He loves working with Tom Kochman, who's an old school guy in Florida. Uh, so he's been really blessed to be with a good group. And, uh, you know, he's you know, he lives and dies with every game, which is how you should be when you work for a club. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's kind of cutting his teeth, but I'm, I'm proud of the job he's done. And he loves, he loves the Red Sox. JP, how, how do you see the AL East playing out this year? It's hard to envision the Red Sox um, being in the middle of that. Stranger things have happened, I guess. But if you look on paper, uh, it certainly looks as the other four teams are superior to them. How do you look at the division and maybe just an overview of the American League race with the with a surprise team to look for in 24? 
Well, it's actually a good question, Sean. But, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same in, in the American League East. You know, I can go back to when I was a GM. Uh, it's been 15 years now. But, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox were always the team we had to compete against. And, you know, we only had a $50 million payroll, so it was kind of insurmountable. But you still look, and it's it's still, to me, the strongest division in baseball. Tampa has definitely uh, done an amazing job. Uh, the Orioles are now turning it around and, and coming back. Uh, the Yankees are still good, and I think Toronto's very good. I, I think Toronto's the best team in the division if their pitching can hold up. Um, but, you know, when I look at those teams right now, the Red Sox cyclically are, are below those teams from on paper. Uh, but it's still a monster, monster division. Any one of those teams could win it. Any one of those teams could be a wild card. I think the Yankees have gotten better. They all have big questions. Rondon's going to have to step up and pitch better for them. I'm not sold on their, their fourth and fifth starters. I think if they can sign one of these guys that's out there, it's going to really uh, move the needle for them. I think they got a good club. Tampa Bay's a solid club. Um, uh, Toronto, like I said, I, I really like I like a lot of things about Toronto. Baltimore, I think, is a very good club. I think Baltimore is going to see a little different this year, being a second year. People, you know, you're not going to sneak up on people, so to speak. There's a little bit more expectations. You don't know how the young kids are going to handle it. Some of their pitches are a little dinged up. They are going to be good. I think they're going to just, you know, now test be, be tested a little bit more. So it's still a monster, monster division. I think it's the best division in baseball. Um, and uh, I think the American League in general is is – is a pretty solid league. I think obviously Houston's going to be good. Uh, Seattle really made a push at the end last year and came on strong. Uh, so I think uh, I think the American League is a little stronger than the National League, but not by much. We, we said we would ask you about your incredibly brief Red Sox career. Um, <laughs> it, it it was so brief that it never was made official. Um, but uh, in addition to working for the Mets and the A's and the Giants and, of course, the Blue Jays as the GM, um, you had a brief period where you were uh, going to see if something could get worked out for the Red Sox. I think you went into the office, was it one day or two days, and then one something day. else happened. So tell that story, if you would. Yeah, so Theo called me up uh, and asked me if I wanted to work for the Red Sox, and I said, sure, you know. So uh, we work out a deal and uh, he says, come in Fenway. He said, we're doing this exercise because you can sign your contract and, you know, you can help with the exercise. So in the meantime, Sandy Alderson got the GM job with the, was getting the GM job with the Mets. And all the while he was calling me and I really didn't want to go to New York because, you know, there's big question about the ownership and being meddling and this and that. And, and you know, I'd been with Sandy so many years and, kind of knew each other so well. Um, so he said to me, you know, I'm going to get the job. I want you to come to uh, New York. And I said, well, whatever I was making with the Red Sox, I said, you got to double that because that's the only thing I'm going to do to move. And he came back and he did. And, you know, he kind of called my bluff. But uh, he called Theo and Theo was great about it. He still laughs to this day. He said, you know, he had the shortest tenure in Red Sox history. So I went in, I actually signed my contract. I did the exercise, and the next day uh, they called me and said the Mets called for permission to talk to you. <laughs> and uh, I ended up I ended up going with Sandy, more out of loyalty. And, it, and actually it was really good because I really got to be quasi the assistant GM in a lot of ways because Sandy had been out of the game a long time. And it, I really was able to get him up to speed 
and we were able to do a lot of things. He kind of turned a lot of things over to me. So I don't know if I would have had that same autonomy in Boston, but I think everybody who grows up in New England at one point would love to work for the Red Sox. So that was my one shot. You, you, you checked your box and if you blink, you missed it, but you were there for a yeah. day anyway. <laughs> As you mentioned growing up here uh, and this, other than those 24 hours working all over, but being from Central Mass, as I am, uh, your roots there, and as I said before, we started rolling. You know, your your clinics back at headquarters in Shrewsbury. I don't know how you characterize them, but I'm a beat writer and not a major leaguer, so that in part I think is on you in some way. Um, the just hey, a good a good carpenter doesn't blame his hammer. That's true. Um, just what did growing up in Massachusetts and New England, and you know the sports atmosphere that you grew up with, how did that? help you in your career and how big was that uh, to kind of push you into all of this well I think there's a reason why so many New Englanders are in baseball I think for some reason New England baseball is just from the time you're young someone introduces you to it and it's got such a lore in in the northeast uh, so everybody is touched by baseball in some way in New England. In my case, my dad played in the Red Sox organization, so he was an ex-minor leaguer, and, you know, he instilled the love of the game to us. Uh, and from that, it was just, you know, it was just playing and playing and playing as playing as much as we can. I played on a great high school team. We were 63 and 12 in three years. We went to two state finals. We won a state championship. We had five guys play professional baseball on that team. One of them was Richie Gedman, who played – you know, 13, 14 years in the big leagues. You know, from there, I got recruited to go to St. Leo's by a guy from Worcester named Jack Gillis, who's been in baseball probably 40 years. He was our coach at St. Leo's, and he brought down all the New England kids. So, you know, you're, it's just in, instilled in you in your young age, and then, you, you know, your love of it just transpires, and it leads you to different things. So I think most kids in New England uh, have such an affinity for the Red Sox I mean, I, I remember crying when Tony Canigliaro got hit in the eye in 1967. And, uh, you know, it just you, you have that love affair with a team. And New England's just it's just a unique place. I think it's a great baseball area. I mean, Ronnie Dowling was from our area. We've had a lot of big leaguers. Paul, Paul uh, Mitchell, uh, you know, the Bird, Fitterich was from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's been other guys, Tanya Sturts and Timmy Collins and so Central Mass has been a huge, huge baseball. That's why I think the Woo Sox are doing so well yeah. uh, because of the the, base, the baseball roots uh, in Central Mass. But just New England in general, and um, God, pe- people love baseball. It might be one of the last areas that love it as much as uh, they used to back in the 40s and 50s. You're going to spend a lot of time at Polar Park this summer in, in retirement to scratch the itch? I called uh, Chad Tracy and I still throw BP and I throw money BP. And I told him, I said, if you, you, you need anybody to throw BP and Dickie Scott's the manager of the Buffalo, uh, the, the Mets AAA team. So when they come in, I know he's going to wear me out. So uh, I'll go down there and throw BP if someone wants it. If not, I'm going to help an AAU team with a little bit of baseball. I'm going to play a ton of golf. Uh, I'm going to do this podcast. Uh, I've been approached about a couple of other things. So I'm definitely going to stay busy, but, uh, I'm not going to miss traveling. Uh, we we understand that part of it, and uh, and how onerous uh, that gets to be on your life, on your family's life, and everything else. But JP, it's terrific talking to you. We wish you nothing but the best with the new podcast, which is the Brushback with JP. Uh, good luck with that. Um, if you need any hints about 
how to survive on the dark side. You know where to come, and we'll give all the advice that you want or don't want. But it's been uh, a pleasure having you today, JP, and best of luck with everything. Thanks. Great seeing you guys. And, Sean, we go back a long way. I mean, it's great to see what your career has become. I'm happy for you, and I cannot believe you're here. Man, where did that happen? Thanks again to JP Ricciardi for hopping on today. Check out his podcast, The Brushback, which is uh, now getting underway. Look forward to that. Again, one more episode this week. It's a mailbag. If you want to be involved, if you want to submit questions for that, you're not going to be able to do it Twitter via Twitter. You're not going to be able to mail it to us. It's all part of that Fenway Rundown Insider Text Program. And to join up with the Insider Text Program, simply text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. A free 14-day trial period gets you started and a $4.99 contribution keeps you going. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.